right, it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620, or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show today. As always, we got a lot to talk about, as there is still things happening and going on in our state, around the country, when it comes to life and abortion. And, and there, there's a couple things I want to talk about today. First, I want to talk about what's happening uh, in in Florida and, and some ideas surrounding uh, strategy when it comes to a post-row United States. And, and so what we're seeing out of Florida and what I'm hoping will will happen in other states is a a move to to incentivize families, a move to prioritize uh, the flourishing of families and to help moms and dads as they seek to raise their children. And, and, and the way Florida is doing that and the way some other states are looking at doing that is by providing tax-free items. And so we'll get into that. I also want to look at, there was an uh, interview with Hillary Clinton the other day. And, and I want to talk about that because there's a mindset when it comes to the issue of abortion and and so when when they call me a religious zealot for my pro-life stance, the reality is I have no problem being called that. I mean, I, I'm yes, my my belief system on on the issue of life is is based and founded in my faith and in a biblical worldview. But to act as if the abortion lobby isn't motivated by a religion is nonsense. And so we're going to get into that here in a little bit, and then we'll just look at some other things that are happening specifically in our state when it comes to uh, the issue of life and abortion and some things that uh, I want to give. I want to be transparent, as I always am, and, and give you some some insight into what's happening in our state, the work that we're doing behind the scenes, the work that we're doing to seek uh, to see the, the Human Life Protection Act that currently is the law of the, uh, the state of Tennessee. Uh, to keep it intact and not to mess with it, not to rewrite it. And so we'll get into that toward the end of the show. But I want to start, there's a piece over at The Federalist, and it's entitled, Texas Should Increase Funding in 2023 to Accommodate the Expanding Needs of Moms and Their Babies in Post-Roe America. So here's what it says. In late January, of course, we celebrated the overturn of Roe v. Wade at the 50th annual March for Life. This is the first year for a post-Roe America, and that means you can expect to see a lot of policy proposals and adjustments as more babies will be born now across the across our country in individual states. Uh, Texas is leading the charge in making more resources available to mothers and their children, and it paved the way well before Roe was overturned. The Texas Alternatives to Abortion Program has been in effect since 2005, and is proof of, since 2005, and is proof of that. Now, I've talked to folks in Texas about this program, and what this program does is get funds to pro-life initiatives, pregnancy centers, and the like. Other states are doing similar things. Uh, we're going to call the Alternatives to Abortion Program A2A. So A2A supports pregnant women and their families, as well as parents considering adoption or who have experienced a miscarriage. The program covers counseling from others, parenting classes, job training, and material resources, including clothing and formula. It also helps connect pregnant women to government assistance programs such as WIC and Medicaid. These services are offered through a variety of entities such as a nonprofit, such as nonprofit pregnancy centers, social service providers, adoption agencies, and maternity homes. 
In 2020 fiscal year, A2A provided services to a million seventy-nine clients, a million seventy-nine thousand clients, serving a total of 101,000 unduplicated clients, a 59% increase from the previous year. During its previous budget cycle, the Texas State Legislature awarded $100 million to A2A for the 2022 and 23 fiscal year. The legislature absolutely must vote to increase the budget this time around to meet expecting parents' needs as the state sees a significant rise in births and a sharp drop in abortions. In 2020 and 2021, the Texas legislature awarded $80 million to the A2A program, and in 21 and 22, $100 million. We propose that there should be funding increases in 2023 to accommodate and expand needs of moms and their babies in Texas in a post-Roe era. Amid a recent report showing that more babies have been born in Texas since it enacted the Texas heartbeat law last year, state lawmakers now have an opportunity during this legislative session to invest even more in women and babies by investing more in its A2A program. With the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe last summer, a ruling that returned the abortion issue to individual states, pro-life lawmakers should renew their focus on securing family-centered initiatives and alternatives to abortion programs, such as the A2A. According to data analyzed by Dr. Michael New, an associate scholar for the pro-life Charlotte Lozier Institute, 157,000 babies were born in Texas between March and July. The data, which was collected from the Texas Department of State Health Services, shows that the number of births exceeded the three-year average by more than 5,000 births. In September of 21, the state enacted the Texas Heartbeat Law, which bans abortions after a fetal heartbeat becomes detectable. Between the month of new law's enactment and January 2022, the number of abortions in Texas dropped by at least 10,000. This analysis shows that nearly 50% of the abortion-vulnerable children who were protected by the Texas Heartbeat Act were carried to term likely as a result of the law. It makes an important contribution to the existing body of research, which shows that the incidence of abortion is sensitive to its legal status and that pro-life laws save lives. The state legislature started its 140-day session early this month. If lawmakers want to continue to counteract the devastating legacy left behind by legalized abortion, then they must vote to increase the budget for A2A. And the list goes on and on and on. And and here's the reality. We are are doing great work. And and I think it's important, too, to note that Charlotte Lozier Institute reported in June of 2022, 14 states authorized some form of alternative to abortion which typically involves supplying funding toward pregnancy help or social service agencies. These states include Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Minnesota, Missouri, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Wisconsin. And soon, I hope, if the right people are listening, the state of Tennessee. More states definitely need to follow suit. And so as we look at that, and as we see what's happening in in Texas and a move to to fund the A2A in a, in a major way. We also see Governor DeSantis just the other day announced a permanent sales tax exclusion in Florida on all baby necessities, including cribs and strollers. Look, here, here's the reality. Oftentimes, and, and I'm guilty of this too, we spend all of our effort and all of our time telling people what we're against. We talked about this uh, in the past. We, we spent a lot of time telling people what we're against. And, and instead of saying, here's what we're for and here's what we're going to do about it. 
And so in that process, we spend a lot of time, and, and in many cases, rightly so, this is what I'm doing in the state of Tennessee, it's what we're going to be talking about in a couple segments, is trying to get legislation that is going to remove abortion out of our state and, and allow for babies to have a chance to be born. But in the process of doing that, we also have to, we must, do what Texas is doing in terms of the A2A, in terms of funneling money, in terms of having a strategy around where we're going to put tax dollars into a place that is going to allow for families to flourish. It's going to allow for pregnancy centers to flourish, for social services to flourish. It's going to allow for counseling to occur, for women that are facing miscarriages to, to have counseling and care. But we also have to then pivot and say, okay, what else can we do with our current tax structure? And in these red states, and, and I'm saying red states specifically because these red states have surplus of funds. So you can't do some of these things in, in a state that is, is, is running not on surplus, but, but barely meeting the revenue goal. And so in the states that, that have good tax structure, that are getting the revenues they need, that have low taxes for their, for their citizens, in a state like Florida, for Governor DeSantis to, to come out and, and say, we are going to remove the tax burden on cribs and baby necessities and car seats. And, and, and what, what it's also going to do is allow for and foster environments that allow for families to flourish. So a mom then can say, yes, that crib may cost a decent amount of money, but at least I don't have to pay taxes on it. That car seat may be somewhat expensive, but at least I'm not going to have to pay taxes on it. Those baby necessities, I'm not going to have to pay taxes on it. Some people would say, oh, that's minuscule and it doesn't matter. But every little bit helps when you are facing an unplanned pregnancy. Every little bit helps when you're facing a pregnancy that you're excited about and planned. So this isn't just targeted toward those that are going through tough and difficult times. This is going to help across the board and, and get to a place where a state is saying, we're not going to simply say that we care about family structure. We're not going to simply say that we want moms to flourish. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. And, and to be honest, oftentimes politicians would much rather just shoot off at the mouth or, or not take away revenue, you know, quote-unquote revenue from the state. Well, we can't cut taxes and we can't take away sales tax because well, we need the revenue. No, this is a moment in time to lead. And so the fact that Governor DeSantis, I, I hope, now Governor DeSantis in the state of Florida have been a model for the country on a lot of things. He has led really well over the last few years. His first term uh, was amazing to the point he won by just a handful of votes four years ago. And then in the last election, he, he turned the state red and, and got close to 70% of the vote. That, that doesn't happen with a personality. That happens with governing well. And, and what we're seeing in Florida is a governor that isn't afraid to govern well. He's not getting caught up in the media hype. He's not getting caught up in the, in the fodder of, is he going to run for president and who's slinging mud? No, he is simply governing. He's ignoring all the nonsense. 
and he's governing. The A2A program in Texas, that, that is designed to help families. That's what it's designed for. The state of Florida has a similar program. I talked to the, the person that oversees that just the other day. They have a similar program where they're helping pregnancy centers. And now some people are going, well, how, how, can, the, how can they take money from the government? Look, this isn't going to hinder our ability to, to share the gospel. It's an opt-in and opt-out. It doesn't mean you have to take the funds. But what it does mean is we finally are at a place where we have leaders stepping out and saying, we're going to lead from the front. We finally see a, see a country where Roe is overturned. Now we're going to allow for and foster environments in our states that, that moms and dads and families will flourish. This is huge. And this should be the pro-life issue. This should be the conservative issue. This is a pro-family issue. I've sent the, you know, when I heard Governor DeSantis announce this, I immediately contacted legislator friends of mine. I immediately contacted the governor's office in the state of Tennessee. Because we have to be a part of leading in this manner. So are we going to be a part of that to foster communities that would, that would allow for families to flourish, to remove burdens, whether it be tax burdens or cost burdens when it comes to counseling or services needed? Are we removing those burdens so that these families can flourish? So it's not just Texas should do it. It's not just Texas should, should increase their funding for 23. It's that Tennessee should get on board. It's that Florida should increase their funding. It's that Georgia should increase their funding. Red states across the nation should step into this. And, and to take the lead and look in the cameras when they're in our faces and say, our motivation is, is the family that's in need. And we're going to remove burdens so that those families can flourish, unapologetically so. That is what we are for. We do that, and we make a huge trajectory shift in the coming months and years in this nation. State by state by state. Let's do it. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation today, now I want to shift to uh, an interview that Hillary Clinton gave. And, and as I said at the opening, you know, they would say that we as a pro-life uh, movement are religious zealots, we're right-wing extremists, uh, you know, they would say all these things. Now, they would, in some cases, also say, I mean, I, I saw an interview over the weekend where Taylor Swift said that she's a Christian and that, that any real Christian would know that abortion needs to be accessible. Now, it, far be it for me to, to say whether or not Taylor Swift is a Christian, but that line of thinking is nonsensical, and could not be further from good theology. I mean, it is bad theology at its core to say that to be a good Christian and a real Christian, you must, you must support and, and advocate for abortion. That's, that's not good theology. It, it's, it's heresy is what that is. 
But but the reality is much of the abortion narrative is a religion. It is the golden calf. And and it's not me just saying that. It's you know looking at the words that they use. There's a piece over at Life News talking about this. It says the phrase, quote, for the children, often is used to evoke sympathy for a cause and for good reason. Inherent in the statement is the recognition that children are valuable and society has a duty to nurture and protect them. But in January, uh, Hillary Clinton used this phrase in the most heinous way, asserting that politicians need to, quote, continue the fight to protect abortion, quote, for our Grandkids, end quote. Clinton, a former presidential candidate and former secretary of state, made the comment while speaking with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on a recent podcast. Both women are pro-abortion Democrats who say they are Christians. On the podcast, Pelosi slammed pro-life Americans as hypocrites and sellouts because they prioritized the issue at the voting booth. But they were willing to sail the whole democracy down the river for that one issue, she said, asserting that she is the better person because many of these people, of course, are not having 13 children. Clinton agreed with Pelosi's comments and then brought up their grandchildren as a reason for their abortion advocacy. Between Pelosi's nine grandchildren and Clinton's three, they said, quote, we have a dozen perfectly good reasons to get up every day and continue to fight for the future we want, end quote. Clinton said her abortion advocacy is not just for our grandkids, but really for every child to live up to his or her God-given potential. That's what it's all about. Yet Clinton directly contradicts her stated purpose by supporting abortion. A child has no chance to reach their potential if their life is violently destroyed in abortion. I could go on and on, but, but listen to that again. Hillary Clinton says we need abortion. And Nancy Pelosi says we need abortion for our grandkids, for their future. You see, their mindset, these wealthy politicians, one was the first lady, one was secretary of state, one nearly became the president of the United States. One was the speaker of the house and was just a heartbeat away from being the president of the United States. Both females that have have kids and grandkids and both females that have shown that a woman can in fact be a mom and a career lady. Both women have shown that women can be mothers and reach their goals and aspirations. Both women have shown that they can, in fact, be moms, wives, and some of the most influential political leaders in the freest nation on the planet. Like, like understand that. So when they say, we, we need abortion, we need it for our grandchildren. Because they would say and argue that, You can't reach your full potential if you're burdened with a child. They make this argument while they themselves had children and reached levels in this country that are only dreamed about by the vast majority of this country. 
Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, Senator of New York, Hillary Clinton, First Lady, Hillary Clinton nearly beat Donald Trump in a presidential election, reached heights that, that many would never dream about. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, the most powerful individual, not just woman, the most powerful individual in the House in Washington for many years. She did that while being a mom. And from all accounts, a good mom. From all accounts, Hillary is a good mom. Her daughter seems to love her. They work together. They have a great relationship, it seems. I don't know them personally. Being a mom didn't stop Hillary from reaching her goals. Being a mom didn't stop Nancy Pelosi from reaching her goals. But for some reason, this future that they dream of, in order for their grandchildren to reach their goals, they have to be able to end the life of their child in the womb. How's that progress? Wouldn't progress be exactly what we saw with Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi? Wouldn't progress be a country that at one point didn't allow women to vote? Millions and millions and millions and millions of people in this country then voted for Hillary Clinton. Millions. Millions and millions and millions of people in this country adore Nancy Pelosi. We went from a country that wouldn't allow women to vote to a country that sees women in the highest offices in the land, in leadership. And the progress that these folks are seeking in their mind is one that says the only way our great-grandchildren can be successful is if they're able to take the life of the baby in their womb. The only way that they can be successful is if they're not burdened by having a baby. You see, that's... That's a, that's a religion. That's golden calf stuff right there. Because the, the chances that the grandchildren of a Hillary Clinton or the grandchildren of a Nancy Pelosi are going to live in difficult times financially, the chances that that happens are so slim because of the support system they have. I would be willing to bet those kids are in private school, very expensive private schools. They probably have security. They have trust funds that are set up for them. And they probably live a life that looks very conservative the way they live. But the words that come out of their mouth is one that says, you can only reach your goals if you can end the life of your child. You see, that's where the nonsense comes in. That's where the idolatry comes in. Abortion is an idolatry. It's an idol. And so it breaks my heart as a dad to three girls that, that some of the women in this country that have reached heights that, that we could only dream of would look at my little girls and say, the only, re- the only way you could ever dream of getting to where we are is if you can end the life of the child in your womb. 
That's, that's crazy. It's not true. It's not a Christian perspective. It's not a biblical perspective. It's an, idolat- uh, an idolatry perspective. It's a golden calf perspective. We'll talk more when we come back. As we continue the conversation today, now I want to shift to our state. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't live in Tennessee, why do I need to know about what's happening there? Well, I think it's important to get a glimpse of what's happening around the nation. And part of that is looking at what's happening in states that are that are seeking to cultivate life, that are seeking to pass legislation that would curtail abortion. And, um, and in the state of Tennessee, currently, we have one of the uh, strongest laws against abortion, uh, but, but we have some that are seeking to rewrite it or uh, what I would say water it down, make some changes. And, and so this past week, I wrote a, a letter to uh, some, some politicians here locally and, and to some folks and leaders in Nashville. And again, I just try to be transparent with you. I want you to know uh, kind of my conversations that, that are occurring uh, off air, my conversations that are happening here in, in Knoxville, but also happening in Nashville and around the nation. And, and so these are conversations that I'm having here locally. These are conversations that I would encourage you to have uh, with your elected officials, senators and state reps, uh, the Speaker of the House, the Lieutenant Governor, the Governor's Office. Uh, so I wanted to read to you what I wrote to uh, to these political leaders. And, and it simply says this, my name is Andrew Wood and I serve as the Executive Director of Hope Resource Center in Knoxville and the Vice President of the Tennessee Pregnancy Center Network. I follow closely the goings-on in Nashville concerning the Human Life Protection Act in light of the Dobbs decision back in June. I, like many, was incredibly grateful when the Supreme Court righted an almost five-decade wrong-headed decision. My joy increased as a Tennessean with this decision because I knew a law would go into effect and make abortion illegal in our state. This joy was a bit curtailed when I heard comments and wishes from some to alter the current legislation by adding exceptions. I understand and can even support, in part, a clarification bill to help further define language and to combat myths and misconceptions being spread by the abortion lobby. Clarification is one thing. However, restructuring and adding in exceptions is something that I cannot support and would hope leaders would reconsider. Tennessee has become a leader for its people and for the country for the cause of life. We have done the heavy lifting and made the hard decisions to create a state that would protect the unborn and allow for families to flourish. This was just a dream back in the early 2000s when the House, Senate, and governor's seat was controlled by pro-abortion leaders. We have achieved that which many thought was impossible. We have boldly led while others chose to sit out. I wish the pro-life caucus in Nashville would recognize this and stay the course as we let the Human Life Protection Act breathe. Again, a clarification bill may be needed, but a complete rewriting is unwarranted. As I serve in my roles, I am blessed to discuss life with leaders all over our country. When the Human Life Protection Act became law in Tennessee, I heard from many around the U.S. congratulating us on doing the hard work to protect the most vulnerable in our society. These folks in both red and blue states long for leaders to take these hard stances in their state, and they applaud the leadership we have in Tennessee. Abortion is never the answer. We serve women and men that continue to carry the weight and shame of a permanent decision they now regret. We have served and continue to serve men and women that have faced a great deal of trauma in bad and abusive relationships. And even in those cases, 
A decision to abort is met with much regret and sorrow. Answering the trauma of rape with more trauma via abortion is a broken formula that will leave much devastation in its wake. I hope leaders in Nashville will stand firm and lead well in the coming months. I appreciate your time and your attention to this issue. So, so look, yes, this is a difficult topic. I've had a couple uh, legislative folks reach back out to me. You know, they, they have said, we agree that the law doesn't need to be rewritten. Uh, a couple of them have said, we, we do believe exceptions need to be made for rape and incest. And I know that's a difficult conversation. And I know some will say that's less than 1% of all abortions. So what's it going to hurt to put in those exceptions? But, but see, again, it goes back to it's putting a foot in the door. And then they say things like, well, I have a 10-year-old granddaughter. And her life would be ruined if she had to have a baby. And, and that is a terrible, terrible scenario. And my response to them is, well, I have three daughters under the age of 10. And, and from my work and from my experience and from my conversations with people that have actually gone through these things, compounding trauma on top of trauma, is not a formula for success. And so in these cases, when uh, an abuse has occurred, terrible scenarios have occurred. Compounding trauma on top of trauma is not the answer. Now, I'm not saying that flippantly. These are hard discussions these are hard scenarios. These are hard conversations that deal with image bearers in the womb and outside of the womb. We would all agree that, that someone that, uh, that assaults a woman, that rapes a woman, needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Our laws probably, if we're honest, are not strong enough in going after them. And we need to adjust that and make that right, certainly. But there are men and women, our neighbors today, walking around, living in society, having a chance at life, and they were conceived in a terrible situation. But that the way they were conceived does not define who they are today. Again, terrible situations and scenarios. And so this is where the debate occurs, right? Because, because these folks that I've reached out to, we would agree fully on we are against elective abortions. We are against abortions just as an act of birth control. We are against abortions for an act of, uh, you know, well, I wanted a boy and I'm pregnant with a girl. We are against abortions that would seek to, uh, to be motivated by race or, or any of those things. But, but where some of the differences might occur, even within the pro-life movement, are when it comes to exceptions. And what, what we have to do is have a logical, rational, adult conversation on this. So, so I'll be honest, in some of these scenarios, I've had to wrestle with, with wanting to just be combative and arguing with politicians. 
because being combative isn't going to move the ball down the field. It's been difficult. It's been difficult. But, But when I'm told we need to have a discussion on exceptions, I don't disagree that we need to have a discussion. But but oftentimes, my viewpoint is not considered. Or or in some cases, we reach out and we get a pat on the head. Oh, there, there, little pregnancy center worker. Thank you for reaching out, but we got this. We know what we're doing. You just keep doing what you're, keep handing those diapers out. We know what we're doing. And and so when we get that kind of response, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, Garner support. I've been in conversations with with folks in the state of Tennessee about a resolution honoring pregnancy centers. And I hope to have more information for you on that in the coming months, uh, the coming weeks even, hopefully by the end of the month of February. And, And I was very, very, very involved with the writing of that resolution. And and there's nothing controversial about it. It simply celebrates the work of pregnancy centers across the state of Tennessee. I mean, it's, it's what I do here every single week. It celebrate the work of pregnancy centers across the country and, and, you know, across the state of Tennessee. And as soon as that resolution was was put forward, it was objected to. And I want to give you kind of some of the weeds behind the scenes look. House resolutions, Senate resolutions, they're not binding. They're not legislation. They're, they're just, you know, it's, hey, we want to honor this person and name this bridge. We want to honor this person and name this road. We want to honor the work of this company as they reach their 20th anniversary. It is just very mundane type thing. And this resolution simply says we want to honor pregnancy centers in the state of Tennessee and their work for decades. This resolution was put forward and immediately was objected to. Now, how often do you think resolutions are objected to? Very, 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 very rare. This resolution was objected to by who? The Democratic Caucus chair in Nashville. Because their disdain for pregnancy centers isn't hidden. And the crazy thing is, this Democratic caucus chair in Nashville represents part of Nashville where a pregnancy center in Nashville had something thrown through their window and graffiti on their building because someone wanted to attack them and hurt them. But but this lawmaker, this quote-unquote leader, doesn't believe pregnancy centers should be. Honored. So in order for this House resolution to to be voted on or passed or move forward, now we're going to have a debate at some point in the chamber. And that debate's going to give a chance for, I mean, I think ultimately it's going to pass. It, it, we have the votes. But in that debate, the, the curtain's going to be pulled back. And we're going to see where people stand as pregnancy centers are providing services at no cost ultrasounds at no cost material assistance at no cost it's not a burden on the taxpayer it's not a burden on insurance companies 
It's simply saying these are women that are in need, facing unplanned pregnancies, and they need help, and we're going to step in and help them. That's what a pregnancy center does. And, and this lawmaker has an objection to that. So it'll be interesting to see how they have that debate. It'll be interesting to see to get all that out in the open. Let's get it all out in the open. Let's have that conversation like adults. And so as you think about what's happening in our state of Tennessee, pray for our state, pray for our leaders, pray for these discussions and debates and conversations that are going to be happening in the coming days, weeks, and months. Because this is part of the process. I can't get on here and and say things every single week and then not engage myself. So I'm engaging. Pray as I do that, that I would be engaging in the right way. We'll be back. So as we finish up today, I know we we covered a lot of ground. We talked about Texas and the move that they're making to to fund in in a major way the A2A program in the state of Texas. We talked about Governor DeSantis in Florida who is removing a tax burden on families and allowing for baby necessities to Uh, to be tax-free permanently, not just for a weekend or for a month, but permanently, which is amazing. And I'm hoping that translates to to other states, certainly our state here in Tennessee. We also talked about Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi having a conversation with each other about progress and and how we need abortion for our grandchildren. And, And what how backward thinking that is coming from two of the most powerful women this country has ever seen. And they're also moms and grandmas. So instead of celebrating their achievements while being a mom, they're they're burdening their grandkids with abortion. And then we looked inward to our own state, to my state here in Tennessee, and the work that's being done and the conversations that are being had. And this is, you know, what's happening in Tennessee isn't, isn't different than what's happening in a number of states across our country is we, we try to position ourselves and have these conversations on the direction our state should go and the direction our laws should go when it comes to life and abortion. And, and, and my, my heart in all of this is try to not take it personal. And that's difficult at times. It's difficult to have this debate and not to take these things personal. When, when I feel that I am right to my core, But guess what? In many of these cases, the folks I'm having a conversation with also feel that they are right to their core, and they're convicted. Some of them aren't. Some of them, it has nothing to do with conviction. It has to do with the next election. But some of these that I'm talking with, it is conviction. And so how do we go back and forth? How do we have these discussions? How do we engage? How do we do so civilly? How do we do so with compassion, with truth? How do we have these hard conversations and point people to hard truths? Because ultimately, we, with many of these folks, I'm on the same team. We agree on 99.8% of things. But, but again, I can't come on this radio show, this podcast, every single week and, and, and encourage you and challenge you to engage with your leaders, whether that be here in Tennessee or in Washington or in the state that you call home. I can't come here every single week and say, you must do this and you must do that, and then I go sit on my rump and do nothing. Because frankly, a lot of talk radio hosts, that's what they do. They get you all worked up 
and then they just go chill. Well, I can't do that. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. So as I'm having these conversations with you on a weekly basis, I am having these conversations with political leaders locally here in Knoxville, political leaders in Nashville, political leaders in Washington, pregnancy center leaders around the country. I'm engaging because it means that much to me. So, so I want you to hear me this week when I say, I'm not telling you to do something that I'm not doing. I'm going to get off this microphone here in just a little bit, and I'm going to send text and messages to people that need to hear from me and others in the hopes that I can create dialogue, that I can influence, that I can assist in the shaping of the life issue in our state and the life issue in our country. Not because I want to grow a platform, not because I want my 15 minutes of fame, not because I want to go on this show or that show. No, it's because I care deeply about the trajectory that our state is going on, first and foremost. And I care deeply about the trajectory of our nation. It, it is a, a difficult thing to hear two of the most powerful women this country has ever seen say that the answer to the future is abortion. Instead of these women that I could show my little girl, say, look at what these women have accomplished. Instead of that, now I'm going, well, that message is not one I want my little girls to hear. Abortion is not the answer to their future. And so we, we engage. We don't let it take control of our lives or we don't obsess over it. But I engage. I make phone calls. I make visits. I send emails. I send letters. I send text messages. And some of those text messages, you know what they say? I'm praying for you. And I say that because I need to initiate that. I need to make sure that in my heart I'm doing this for the right reason. Not that it's personal, but that this is, a, this is something that I'm doing from a biblical worldview. That life would be celebrated. Why? Because life is created by the God of the universe. The one that gave us life. It's worth the effort. We'll talk to you next week.